You are listening to a podcast of Risen Savior Lutheran Church in Chula Vista, California. Growing in faith, living in hope, serving in love, all to the glory of God. When it comes to the world of politics, we are accustomed to talking about the left and the right. So the people in politics who are on the left tend to be more liberal in their understanding of the Constitution and the direction of America. They tend to be open-minded, trying new things, while those on the right side are usually considered to be conservative, and they're the ones who are constitutionalists and most often capitalists. But in America, there's a big swatch of people down the middle. Sometimes they're referred to as the independents, sometimes simply as the moderates. For they're the people who basically politicians have to speak to to persuade the moderates in the middle to go one way or the other. Have you ever thought of the fact that that same kind of terminology can be used about the church, about teachings in the church, denominations and so forth? American churches and denominations could be left-leaning, meaning that they're liberal in their interpretation of Scripture, understanding. Oh, for example, they might consider evolution to be a truth, and that the story in Genesis 1 would be more of a, a myth of the past, not a true story of events. On the other side, you could have conservative Christians in a church, and those would be the ones who would insist that the Genesis story is true, that God created the world seven days. And then they would add probably that the evolutionary theory is false. It's just an idea, but it's unprovable. But just like politics, there is a whole big swatch of people down the middle who we could call the moderates. They aren't fully persuaded to go to the conservative side that the Bible's really true in everything it says, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And on the other side, the moderates would say, well, we're not extremists and consider the Bible to be mythological. You get the feeling now? This now leads me to my message that I want to have you think about and make your own. Don't let Christ be moderately important. Don't let Christ be moderately important. Because it's often been said that a moderate can't make up his mind and doesn't know where he stands. Think about that. As I now share with you this message of the gospel from Matthew chapter 10. First of all, his love for us is our peace. Have you ever thought of what this world would be like today if there was no Jesus Christ? It would probably be a little bit like the United Nations where common sense and people would say it's better for us to sit and talk about things than to fight. 
That's why across the street from the United Nations building in New York City, there is a park in which there is a beautiful monument made by a Russian who understood scripture and the inscription on that monument says from Isaiah 2, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Isaiah 2. In other words, the time that Isaiah was predicting would come when there wouldn't be war anymore. But Isaiah wasn't talking about guns and missiles and explosions at all. I'll tell you in a minute. Listen to the rest of the verse of Isaiah. Same verse. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That could have been added to the monument, don't you think? For the purpose of the United Nations is try to keep peace in the United States, in the world, among countries. Hmm? And they do a lot of talking, and they spend tons of money. You're aware of that. But we don't have peace on earth, do we? I mean, right now, there's probably this many wars going on in different places. Right? I mean, the newspaper, the media has been full of this the last several weeks. Hmm, they have to try harder. Do you think that Jesus came to this world to bring peace? Listen to the opening line of this text. It's kind of surprising. Do not suppose, Jesus says, that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And at first hearing, you say, my goodness, Jesus wants wars? No, you're misunderstanding. He did tell us, didn't he, in Matthew's gospel, that there will be wars and rumors of wars to the end of time. But what's the cause of that? The Prince of Peace brings warfare? No. When he talks about peace and war, he's talking about it spiritually. Even though there are wars going on in the world and there are serious dangers, we sit here in peace. Our sins have been forgiven us. God does not hold your sins against you. You understand that? That was the very purpose why Christ came. Remember from last week? To atone for you. At one. Atone. He atoned for you. He reconciled you to God so that we can say, Father, hear my prayer. And you can call yourself a child of God. That no matter what's happening around us, we're at peace with God. Well then, well then why is there war? Why is there this, this harmony on earth? Well, it has to do with Satan, doesn't it? The peace of the world is always to stop war, but it never will. There's always going to be resentment. There's always going to be covetousness. There's always going to be evil, isn't there? And in fact, you have even observed in your life that when you talk about Jesus, 
that resentment and hostility might even come against you. Isn't that what he meant now? Listen. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and so on. What is he talking about? He's saying that when you become a Christian, your own family might not like that. The world is full of Hananias, who as false prophets talk about peace and working towards peace and harmony. And people fall for all kinds of things in societies and nations that promise peace. But there will be wars and rumors of war to the end of time because of Satan. He's real. And his purpose is to damn you and people to hell. It's that simple. And so he strives to cause turmoil and persecution against Christians. He wants to stop the gospel. He wants the churches to be closed, or if nothing else, to be at least teaching lies rather than truth. And he's quite successful, if you think about it. The massacres of people in the Congo. How about the Sudanese Muslims who are starving to death, the Christians in their land? How about the warfare that spread from Lebanon and Syria all the way over to Pakistan? An area where some of you have served in the armed forces. What about North Korea? Can you think of an example of one nation that is more evil than North Korea? The people are starving to death, living in absolute poverty, while their illustrious leaders live like kings. And they are constantly rattling the swords for war. But there's so little they know they can't accomplish much. Or right now, the missiles from the Gaza Strip over into Israel. They know they can't possibly defeat Israel. But they still hide their missiles in schools, in mosques, even in hospitals, so that when Israel responds, it'll kill people and they can get national news in the media. Oh, the Israelis are so bad. Look at all the children they've killed. That's evil at its prime. Satan is successful there. But America itself, if you think about it, has a growing tendency towards keeping Christianity quiet. But in spite of a change in America, you and I can sit here in church in peace. I am a child of God. I have been forgiven. God is my Father. His love is our peace. And if you also recognize that when Jesus came to bring peace on earth, it took the nastiness of a cross, didn't it, to which he was obedient. And I'm telling you that his obedience is really your obedience to God. Do you understand that? Why did Jesus permit them to persecute him and hurt him? Why did Jesus permit them to torture him? Like carrying the cross when he was hardly able to walk until he could no more. And then they murdered him. It was obedience to God's plan of reconciliation. This was that amazing plan of God that 
Someone perfect would pay for the sins of all the people. Only God could solve the problem. And so Jesus, as God's son, came to do that for you. And his obedience now is counted as your obedience. That's what he's saying to you. In this world, there's always going to be fighting and striving, jealousy, covetousness. What is the world really after? Power and wealth. Do you remember Jesus spoke about that? What good will it be for you if you gain the whole world and in the process go to hell? Right? Lose your soul. That's a terrible bargain. But that's what the world chases after, isn't it? Because they don't believe in God. So there's going to be hostility, even against you, even in your own family. And I bet you that if I took a survey of you, some of you could say yes to that, that there are family members that oppose me in my faith and my practices in Jesus. That's why he said, anyone who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. He was being as blunt as possible in telling you, you will receive opposition even in your own family for you to become a Christian, to follow the way of Jesus, to take up your cross and follow him. You will receive opposition. And he's telling you now, don't be like the Mississippi River. Have you ever looked at the map of the Mississippi River as it winds past Arkansas and Mississippi and goes down to the Gulf? It's like this, like a snake, isn't it? Because it's always taking the course of least resistance. Christians cannot be that way. That when we suddenly face opposition or resistance from the world around us, that we are willing to give up our faith or to compromise. That's why I'm telling you the obedience of Jesus in carrying his cross and giving up his life for you is also your obedience because God sees in your acts Christ and he sees perfection. Listen again to these words from Jesus. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you understand that? He's saying that if you chase after this world to keep your life, to preserve yourself, you may end up losing eternity, losing your soul. While just the opposite, that the person who loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you realize that's happening in this world more than any other time in history? Scholars tell us again and again that there's more persecution of Christianity in the world today than there was in any previous century. Want some examples? How about the Boko Haram out in the desert north of Nigeria kidnapping those teenage girls? They've done it more than once because they're Christians. Nigeria is pretty strongly a Christian nation. But these Muslims threaten them. They're suffering because of that. You know, a famous line from history is, the farther we are from the lion's roar and the martyr's stake, 
the more easy it is to become moderate about our faith. You got that? There is no persecution open in the United States today. And that's why much of Christianity in America has become pretty moderate in what it believes. Would you be willing to suffer for your faith? To be an outcast of society? Is your love for Jesus strong enough that if you were punished with imprisonment, like in Iran, that you would be faithful? It's a tough question that we can only pray about. You know, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do you realize there are people in the world dying right now as living sacrifices? This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and gracious will. That's why the love that Jesus showed in His life, His acts of love, are your good works, when you think about it. Do you realize the reason you came to church today, and I can call that a good work, is because you were motivated by the love of Jesus for you? Why else would you have done this? Have you ever stopped to think about how many little acts take place in our lives? As I was thinking about this, and I, I'll, it's easier for me to talk about last Sunday because <laughs> not knowing what's going on today yet, but as you thought for a moment the good deeds that have taken place just in our gathering for worship, somebody came early and opened up the church and turned on the lights and so forth, got things ready. Communion ware was prepared for you. The bulletin was printed and folded and all that took place. There were ushers to take care of things and greeting you, bulletins. They'll take the offering. Why do they do that? Because it's service to God. It's a good work, isn't it? Last Sunday, one of the members brought some vegetables from their garden and gave them away free. Some people prepared a little snack after service and a drink and something to eat. Just a simple good work, right? We enjoy something to joy. But maybe more so, I noticed that the friendliness of greeting one another. There's a warmth there. It, it's sincere. You can tell that. That Christians understand this person is a Christian and we share a bond. We're both children of God. We're brothers and sisters. Now do you understand what I'm saying to you is that Jesus' acts of love is what motivates and causes you to do good work. And that's what he talked about here at the end. You found it kind of long, perhaps, when he said, anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives my Father who sent me. But then he adds, anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward, and so on. And then he talked about our right. He was just using terminology that if somebody came as a traveling preacher in the early Bible times when this was written, and he came as a prophet, a preacher, to come and talk, and they received him and listened to his word, they'll be, that good work is going to be rewarded by God. 
But then he came even down to that last verse, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because that little one is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he'll certainly not lose his reward. That's a powerful statement that God sees all the acts that we do of kindness and friendship and love and service. They're countless. And all of that adds up to the natural result of the love that my God has for me. I am at peace. Aren't you? I have been forgiven. In spite of how bad I can be, God has forgiven me. Now some closing remarks. American Christianity is not going well. Most denominations in America that call themselves Christians have become quite moderate in their views. They have compromised Bible doctrine left and right. I suspect that there are some of you who have even fled from them and come here. That's just a fact. I wonder how, what kind of Christian they'll be if persecution breaks out. You've probably heard of the English author C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote this interesting sentence. He said, if Christianity is false, it's unimportant. I agree, don't you? If Christianity is false, it's unimportant. If Christianity is true, he said, it is vitally most important. And we say, yes, that's right. The one thing that Christianity can't be, he said, is moderately important. Can you feel that? Walking down the middle and not making up your mind is no virtue. We are 100% God's children. He is 100% our God and Savior. We are dedicated to Him. God, give me that strength of faith that no matter what opposition I run into in the future, I will stay with you. That's why I said to you in the beginning, Christians, don't let Christ be moderately important. Amen. Please rise. Thanks for listening to this Risen Savior podcast. For more information about our church, check us out online at risensavior.us.